Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome back to Dialogue, a true crime conversation. This is episode three, and this is one that I have been just dying, for lack of a better word, to share with you. You probably have heard of this amazing, badass survivor, but I think you're going to be surprised by the conversation I have with her. And I'm speaking of no other than Ms. Tara Newell. I heard her speak at CrimeCon and was blown away by everything she had to share. I shared a photo and a quote of hers on my Instagram story and she actually reached out to me and I didn't waste any time in asking her to be on the podcast and she graciously agreed. So we talked and we of course discuss her heroic moment in the Dirty John story but we also get to the heart of her trauma and the healing. We talk about relationships with our moms and the Bible comes up once. So I think you're going to find something new even if you think you already know Tara's story. Joining me from the OC... Tara Newell. Tara, thank you so much for being on Dialogue, a true crime conversation. We've not even met in person. We've only messaged via Instagram. So this is a huge leap of faith on your part, and I really appreciate you doing this. Well, thank you so much for having me. You are very welcome. I've been really excited to talk to you It's amazing, even with everything I've read, watched, and consumed around your story, I still have questions, so I'm excited to talk. It's hard to imagine anybody listening doesn't know the Dirty John story, but do you have like the recap version that you share so that anybody who might not kind of can get their way in here and know what happened and when? Yes. So, well, it's really weird if you're listening to a true crime podcast and you haven't heard of this story. Agreed. Because it's just been so heavily publicized. And and so basically my mom falls in love with a con artist. He ends up marrying her and then they kind of, well, she kind of gets exiled away from the family And then she figures out that he's bad, leaves him, and then he's able to convince her that what was said about him and stuff wasn't really him. It was different on me hands. So she went back into the relationship and then she left him again. And the second time she left him, that's when he started to spiral downward and out of control. And then he ended up coming after me and attacking me and trying to kill me. Right. That is the, that's a really good long and short of it. And I'm interested in all the from then till now, but I also want to know like, who was Tara before this? And, you know, were you even interested in true crime as a genre or is this all pretty new to you since finding yourself oddly at the center of it? So I've never listened to podcasts. I honestly just heard about podcasts um, because of church sermons. And so I would thought, I like thought podcasts were just like for religious stuff. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. They're for everyone. Right? Yeah, no, there's like so many things out there. There's so many different podcasts. Yeah. I just thought they were like a church sermon. Um, So I like... I don't know where I was living and why I never really heard a podcast other than like church sermons, but uh, that's what I thought of it. And so my true crime 
I don't really like a lot of um, shows on, like, the real event and, like, documentaries and stuff just because I get too glued into those and start to really feel for these people. And I just, like, ruin the rest of my night and my day and, like, the next couple days because I get so into them and feel for these people. So you can't really disconnect from the story. You're feeling it all. Okay. And that was prior to everything that happened to you happening. That's just kind of who you are. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But I was able to watch a lot of like um, scripted shows like CSI, um, Law and Order. Are you an SVU fan? The Law and Order SVU? Yeah. Special Victims Unit. Mm -hmm. Um, so I like those shows, and then I like The Walking Dead. And but Walking Dead's like not true crime; it's more um like post-apocalyptic um fantasy yeah. series, fantasy, yeah. Right. So but, that was sort of your genre of choice. Yeah, but like yeah, and I love Lord of the Rings, so definitely my choice. What did you want to be when you were little? When you grew up, like when you imagined your life, like what would your answer have been? So there is a lot of things because I just like I had so many passions, but I wanted at one point to be a crime scene analyst. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because I was obsessed with CSI Las Vegas during that time. So I was like, oh, I might want to do that. That's really cool. And I'm really into I was really into science because one of my other jobs that I wanted as a kid was a marine biologist. Oh, sure. Yeah. And you were near the water, I would imagine, in Orange County, near the ocean. That was probably just such a part of your your environment and your context. Yeah. And then my dad, like, before I was born, he was a captain. So he was very drawn to the ocean. And so he would take me to the ocean all the time. We go fishing. And then, like, my grandma would always take me to the beach. Oh, that's so interesting about the crime scene investigation, too, because it's more the scientific part of true crime and less of the personal. So that makes sense, too, if you didn't want to deal with the, you know, being so close to the heartbreak and the tragedy of it that you maybe wanted to be part of the solving of it and the fixing. Yeah. No, I just like I... I'm an empath, so I pick up on other people's emotions, and I will feel how they feel sometimes. And so that's really hard to disconnect from that. Yeah. And you seem to be really living your healing kind of very out loud and empowering other people, I would imagine, to do so and inviting them in. But how do you do that um, and maintain, you know, some sense of privacy and, like, protection of yourself? Well, I honestly don't really like to talk about my uh, personal relationships with, like, guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll very talk vague about it, but I don't get in depth about it most of the time um, because I feel like they have privacy that I should respect, too. And unless, like, I get to go ahead to, like, talk about it, then that's something that, like, should basically remain private to a sense so like I talked vague about it but not to a full extent so like that's pretty private to me and then um my therapy I just I used to be private but then I've noticed how much that me talking about it has helped others and so I feel like you know why like my life's an open book and if I had any secret, it would come out. That's mm. what happens. So mine as well just be open and honest with everything. Right. It's almost, I mean, not like beating it to the punch in a way, just putting it out there and you get to at least control the narrative in that sense because you've said it first. Yeah, but like everybody takes what someone says and puts it into their own perspective. So there's always sure. that. But you know what? Sometimes the people need to put it into their perspective to get a realization like, oh, maybe I might need to go to therapy or, hey, that's a red flag. And I've been really like kind of just shoving that under the rug. Maybe I really need to take notice into that. 
Right. And you seem to be really be kind of moving into that space where you're, you're really trying to go around and help people find those things and identify those. Is that something that is very unexpected from this whole situation that you found yourself in? At first, yes, because I wanted just like a normal life. I didn't want to talk about my trauma. I really wanted to, well, I wanted to brush it under the rug because it's not to deal with. And, you know, it is a really personal story and it's hard at some points to even talk about a couple of things. But at the end of the day, like, this is what my life is now. And I'm just, you know, going with the flow. And I just have like a sense that this is what I meant to do now. So how does it affect you and your mom's relationship? If you want to talk about that with you living this out loud and publicly and helping others, does she see that as empowering for you too? Is it, is it challenging for your relationship with her? Well, she's um, out there doing the same thing, talking, speaking with me. Um, so, I mean, there's some things that we don't quite see eye to eye on. And that's like frustrating at some moments. But you know what? At the end of the day, we are happy for each other and we want each other to grow and share our story. And each of us has a different perspective. Like she was with him and then I was kind of like looking into that and experience a different relationship with John. So um, at the end of the day, we both have different stories. So it's just better to support one another than to hate on it. But Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that that's where you two have arrived. And I think that's part of also like as women, when we get older in our relationship with our mom, even if we haven't experienced something like that together, there's like this period of differentiation that needs to happen where you're like, we don't actually have to agree on everything and we can still be in a really good and healthy relationship and support each other. Yeah, no, I agree because there's so many things that I feel like I'm like as my mom, but then there are so many traits that um, I'm different and we're different. We are different people. Same, same. And as we get older, I think as I get older, I'll speak for myself, I get more comfortable with that and just living into who I am and letting my mom be my mom. And that usually is when things work best between us. So you do talk a lot on your blog about PTSD. And I feel like that word, you know, when you're speaking about it, you're speaking from really personal experience and a diagnosis, but it gets thrown around a lot these days, I've noticed. It really does. (laughs) Right. And I think it's maybe flippantly and too casually. And I'm curious, you know, what it looks like for you and how it presents and and how you are coping with that. The thing about PTSD is that if you experience any type of trauma, then that's um, what comes after. And it's important to realize like how severe it is, like just be really in tune with how you're being affected in life um, because there's certain times where there can be triggers. Um, yes. Like even like lots of people, loud noises, and um, the triggers are different for every person. Um, I'm just going to use that as an example, like dog barking for me. That's a trigger because my dog was there when um, – I got attacked. Yes. And so when I hear that, I just get super irritable. Um, Sometimes, like, I have to, like, I can't be around my dog. Like, it's way better now, but this is, like, what it used to be. Like, I can't be around my dog, have to put him in a different room. Um, And then I just break down sometimes. And then that's not healthy to live. And it's because, like, when you're triggered, there's a correlation between that and the attack. And a part of it sets you back to um, the attack. So you have some of those feelings from the attack in that moment just because you're getting triggered. So um, that's one of the, like, one of the wow. things about PTSD is, like, you really need to get a handle on it because you need to take care of yourself and you can't just freak out if like a dog bark because that's a normal day occurrence. 
Sure. And you're never going to be able to control or create a life where you're away from that at all times. Yeah. Nor would you want to. You love dogs. Yeah, I know. They're great. They're amazing. Yeah. That's the tricky thing, I feel like, with PTSD, I would think, and triggers is that they're like seemingly sometimes, you know, very innocent experiences that in and of themselves aren't scary or that you shouldn't feel so debilitated by. And I would think maybe there's just even some freedom in identifying what they are. Do you sense, do you get some power back when you can just name it and then just go through some steps of how to deal with it? Yes, but I've gotten triggered and some things trigger me more than others. Mm -hmm. But I was at a bar and this guy grabbed me by the waist, not even like aggressively or anything, just like a little abruptly because he was drunk. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's already, that's just not okay, but go on. Not okay at all. Like a girl or a man should always get permission. Yes. Um, and so he touched me, touched me by the waist. I looked up at him and it was like the same movement I did with John. And so it threw me through a huge setback. And what did that look like? That just – did you feel like progress you'd made? You'd kind of regressed and it it brought you to a place that was really – didn't feel good? Well, so I did EMDR, but I didn't work all the way through EMDR. And EMDR is the rapid eye movement yes. type of treatment? Yeah. Okay. So I had to go back because like that moment, it like – it brought me back to like how I felt with the attack with John. And wow. I didn't like react towards this guy. I like just got so angry. And um, I have made progress because before I would have like flee, like ran away from him, like fleed. Um, or I would have like honestly like punched him or, you know, defended myself because I got touched. Um, So like there was progress made there, but I was still so angry that he just even touched me. And um, the bar though uh, that I went to, um, I got the bouncer and he helped me and he made the guy either apologize or he said like, I can kick him out. Like, that's not acceptable. And so they were great about it. But oh, I to hear that. yeah, I was happy about that. But um, it just threw me through a huge setback. Um, I had bad dreams about John that night. I started having bad dreams. And these dreams are just so vivid. And I've only had them a few times before. So it, it was just like... It really... It really triggered happened. a whole yeah yeah. So, have you ever heard of a book called um, "The Body Keeps the Score"? Yes. Yes. Have you read it? Okay, so I suck at reading. <laughs> Me too. I'm working on it. Um, I just like can't sit down and like read a book, but I've gotten probably about fifty pages into it. Me too. We should try to finish it and then talk about it because. It's a little bit dense, you know, it's not, I don't find it to be an easy read personally, but I no. feel like it's really important and I feel like it's exactly what you're talking about with um, just the way our mind and our body are so connected and we have physical reactions to past traumas and this is how they play out. And I think the more we can understand that, I can't imagine, you know, that wouldn't help us in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think actually part of like that, I like, came to the realization a little bit from like those 50 pages. So that book is very helpful, even with the little reading that exactly done, you know? Yes. You can glean a lot from, from just even a small read and small sections. Um, You mentioned the dream that it caused dreams. And this is something I had a question about. You had a dream, or I don't know if you would call it a premonition about John. Yes. I'm, I'm, I don't like I feel like it was a way to warn me but then I also just like I'm very intuitive sometimes um yeah so I just get I had a dream that I was like actually stabbing him and how like long timeline wise where was that when did that happen before um, it really happened 
like months. Wow. So do you think there's a spiritual connection to that? Because you mentioned you um, listen to podcast sermons on podcasts. Are you a person of faith? And do you think your intuition and your spirituality are linked? You know what? I believe in God. I grew up in the church and stuff. Um, Me too. But like, I also just want to say that I'm very spiritual just because like, I don't read the Bible. There's just certain um, scripture in the Bible that it's like cut off his hand. And it's like, you have to take that with a grain of salt. Don't actually cut off the person's hand. Yeah. Interpretation is really important with the Bible. I agree. That's very, very true. Yeah. I was just curious. Yeah. Go ahead. I feel like everybody takes something a little different from the Bible. Well, it's like we were saying, even with your story and sharing your story, people will kind of hear what they're going to hear and then make interpretations and apply it to their life in their own way. It's, I think we do that with everything. The Bible is just such a like big book. globally <laughs> understood. Book. Yeah. Li- yeah. It's yeah. a big book. Um, so I think it just feels not more dangerous, but it just feels more like significant or something. Yeah. Um, Cause there's so many different ways to read it, but I was just curious if that was like part of your, maybe your spirituality was just maybe if you wonder, I wondered if you felt like God gave you that message, I guess is what I'm actually asking. I 100% believe that it was God's message to me. Yeah. Like, I believe that he gave me that gift, you know? It is a gift. I do think it's a gift because I, I think people are so captivated by this story because it's just such an unlikely ending. And I mean, that's why I think I am. I just think this story, we could have read about this. We who are weirdos, who do listen to all these crazy podcasts and watch these personal true crime stories, usually this plays out so differently. So the fact that you were able to like totally flip the table and defeat him is wild. Do you think Do you think that's why people are captivated by it? Why do you think this has become, you know, a news story, then a podcast, then a scripted show, a documentary, et cetera? Well, first and foremost, I think it's so relatable so to like so many women. Uh, yes. The part with being conned and not having such a great guy and you thought he was like amazing. So that's really relatable right there. And yes. then um, it's just crazy how many women have been like screwed over. I feel like – Everyone knows someone that's going through something similar with like a con artist or a bad guy. So these people want to share the story also to help their friend. And I've even had like girls and ladies like message me and say that some parts of the story, like seeing the red flags has helped them. So it's like, it's very relatable. And, um, it kind of shows that there is a hero at the story. Like the bad guy doesn't always win. Yes. Yes. And I think it gives women confidence that we can be the hero, even though I think so many of us are afraid in similar situations we won't be. That I think knowing that it's possible, if it was possible for you, it's possible for me. I think that is so inspiring. Yeah, no, like I feel like, if there's a will, there's always a way. Yeah. Well, I saw you speak at CrimeCon, and I don't remember what the question was or what led up to it, but my jaw was on the ground because your response was, you know, if you ever were in this situation, well, one takeaway was use your legs a lot. There's a lot more strength in your legs, so that's yeah. how you try and get out of the, you know, if they've got you pinned. And then you said if you ever do find yourself in a situation where you need to stab someone – just keep stabbing. Don't stop. And I was just sort of like, you know, I appreciated how blunt and strong those words were. I don't think people say things like that. And it's it, it was very, um, it was sobering and it was hard to hear, but it was so, I'll never forget it, I guess, is my point. And- well, my mom talked for 45 minutes. <laughs> so when it came to me, I was the last person. So I had to kind of just make my points very blunt. Right. Just be like, okay, this is how you do it. Um, This is because like I had a whole like speech plan. And then I'm like, okay, how do oh I my sit down gosh. for like five minutes? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you really left us with a takeaway, and I think it was so memorable. I mean, my friend and I turned to each other, and we were, you know, everyone was applauding you and standing up, and we were too, but our eyes were like open like saucers, and our mouths were open, and we were just like, what did we just hear? But I think it just saved our lives, like potentially. It was was amazing. It really, really was. And, you know, I had an experience in college that I don't talk about a lot because nothing happened, quote unquote. You know, I, I woke up in my dorm room, and for young men, students, possibly a little bit older than students. I don't think they attended my college, but they were surrounding my bed and they were taunting me and um, saying what they were going to do to me. And they didn't end up attacking me. They left. But I actually froze. I didn't move. I couldn't yell. I was on NyQuil. I was very sick. And so I'd gone to bed and taken NyQuil. So I, I like to think it's maybe because of the medicine, but you know, my fear is that I'm a freezer, that there's like fight or flight and that maybe there's also freezing and that that's, that's what I do. Well, that's a sense of shock. And to be honest, if there's four guys surrounding you trying, uh, saying that they're going to beat you, I think that your survival instinct took in because how are you going to fight off these four guys? You kind of have to kind of, um, in that situation, kind of sweet talk them at first. I'm glad you're saying that. I, that's a good point. I, it's so long ago now, and I was so young, and again on NyQuil, which is always my like, well, I was on NyQuil, but I, I just was, I just was calmly saying, you know, security does checks, and they will call the cops, like someone's gonna come by soon, and I just kind of kept saying that over and over, and it was a, like a weird out of body experience, um, and I'm just, I'm so grateful. I don't know why it turned out that way. I don't actually think maybe they were at their core terrible people. Maybe they were just menacing and took it too far yeah, and thought better of it and left. And I'm so grateful. But um, when I hear your story, I think I want to be a fighter. You know, if, if God forbid I find myself in a situation, I feel a little bit more equipped and armed, armed to use my legs, actually, now that I say it. Um, so these boys also, like, there's some psychology that kind of goes into that. They probably are horrible people for taunting, a, you know, a girl, like an innocent girl. But, um... To really, like, harm someone and want to hurt someone, you have to, first of all, be, like, a psychopath. Right. Um, Or you have to um, have this, like, connection with the person. So it's good that you didn't know these guys also because then they wouldn't want to hurt you to kill you more so. Right, because usually – if we're in a violent situation like that, I mean, a random attack is actually very rare. It's usually at the hands of someone we loved or mm-hmm. thought loved us, right? Yeah. So you said psychopath, and I feel like that's like PTSD. That's another word we throw around. But I think John Meehan is diagnosed. Yes. Yeah? Yes. So did he have any diagnoses while your mom and him were dating? I mean, she wouldn't have used those words, but – do you think those things were in place? There was a file somewhere on this guy that was like, this is a dangerous psychopath? So, um, there was so much on him. Um, there was like papers after papers. Like the paper work that I saw was like two inches thick. So, um, there was just so much. I don't, I didn't really get into the paperwork too much. I kind of saw a picture of him with his stomach cut open. um, And he self-inflicted that. And then he put poop into his stomach. What? Yes, when he was in jail so he could get that fixed. To access drugs or just to get out of jail or? Um, Access drugs. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And so I felt like if that person could do that to himself, then I just need to, like, be prepared and just know from that. And I didn't really want to go too much into looking into this guy. I just honestly wanted to stay my distance because I was like, this guy's dangerous. So you knew that when they were dating, you'd accessed that information. Or is this after this the fact? It was like right before she left him the second time. Okay. Yeah, because she had all this paperwork and she was showing us. And oh my gosh. it was like kind of like planning on how to get out of it. 
Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. And I'm sure that information combined with your dream, combined, you know, all these factors probably presented themselves in that moment when you were faced with him, when you were able to do what you had to do. Yeah, no. And then, yeah, he's just crazy. <laughs> he really, truly is. And it's amazing how far and how able he was to keep affecting people negatively, you know, to keep getting in people's lives and, and blowing up their lives. Yeah, no, it's insane. Like after he passed too, um, he, like my mom had a house with him in Vegas and he would get like lawyer stuff sent there like weekly about cases that he was pursuing um, and all of that. And so he was just trying to screw over anyone and everyone he could. Wait, what do you mean? Other cases with like lawsuits? Yeah, no, he was doing like multiple women. He was, I think he was oh. a sister. Um, he was just, he like, uh, with one of the women, he actually like attacked one of the women and she defended herself and he like fell down and broke his teeth but then he turned it around on her and he sued her and he had fake teeth because of her oh man so he was desperate i mean it was such desperation it was like a ploy for for money but there is also just got to be some sick twisted abuser in him i mean it's it really he kind of hits all the the marks it's yeah. horrible um, so after you stabbed him, I'm curious, you know, there was an investigation and I feel like all the reporting quickly and, and clearly communicated that you were not at fault. This was clearly self-defense. Did you feel, you know, supported and treated well during that time with the investigation? Was that scary or did you feel so sure of how everything was and did they put you at ease or was that a little bit scary? Um, I never had any, like, thoughts that I would be in trouble, to be honest, because it was so self-defense. So clear-cut, yes. Yeah, and there was, like, people watching from their balcony, so I'm like, their stories are going to add up with my story, and yeah. this guy, like, I hated him, but I wouldn't go after him and attack him. Like, sure. I honestly thought about it because I hated him so much. I was like, I just want to go, like, do it myself. But then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get – I'm going to be dead if I do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think as a human, we've all had that feeling with somebody. But we yeah. think better of it. Something kicks in where we're, like, not the best idea for our life and future. Yeah. Well, and then I'm like, well, and then I don't think I could pull through with, like, stopping him and stuff. You know? No. Like, I can't no. do that. And no. it's just, like, he came after me. And that's – I think that's another reason, too, is um that he came after me so I can I can attack him back, you know? Yeah, that's something you can live with. Fighting yeah. back for your life, 100%. Yeah, because he's going to kill me, and I don't want to be dead. <laughs> no, it is not your time. <laughs> yeah, not today, Satan. Absolutely, and it just feels like it was his time. I mean, he was wreaking havoc on so many lives, and I don't think we should ever celebrate when someone's dead, but he really was a dangerous, a, a walking dangerous man. I mean... I, I guess celebrate's not the right word, but I do kind of applaud it. You you ended a cycle of abuse. Yeah. I Yeah, no. I, like, really realize that now. That took time to kind of okay. ease into that thought, I'm sure. Yeah, no, because it's like, um, does this person have a family? Like, does this family actually care about them? And then I met his sisters, met his daughters, met his ex-wife. And um, you know what? No one really cared about him. And they were all yeah. just, like, fearful of him. That's huge. And do you still speak with them? Yeah. Um, not the sisters. Um, that is just a little complicated. Um, yeah. But I do talk with the daughters. And I talk with um, Tanya and um, – 
I really love them. They've been like a second family to me. That's amazing and probably a very unexpected part of the whole ordeal. So I'm really glad that that is, you know, a place of support and where you guys have each other because that could be really difficult if it was, if it didn't look like that. Yeah, no, they were really in his reign of terror too. So it was like we were all going through the same thing. I mean, there just had to be so much relief for people in a way because he was so volatile. I mean, probably, I don't even know if anyone could imagine what he was capable of. He'd done so many insane things. It's like there was probably no end to what you could think up. So that's a scary way to live. Yeah, no, it really is. And your family, your siblings, everybody's, you know, working this out together and and doing well. Yeah, for the most part, we're, uh, well, I'm in lots of therapy, but everybody else is healing still from this. Yeah, most families probably, you know, don't experience something of this magnitude together. And I would imagine there's a lot of processing and working through things to do. Yeah, there's a lot of that. (laughs) Yeah, and everybody has to find their way of doing it, I guess, you know, and that's always true in a family and always can be it can be tricky but um everybody has to find their way yeah do you have like tips and hacks for women now are there like like your your um input on fighting with your legs and you know just keep going for it if you are attacking but are there any safety measures you have in place for your life now that you like to share with people well if you are in a relationship and you're kind of getting these scents, uh, be really smart about it. You want to plan to get out. Um, you need to leave at the right time. You need to have numbers memorized. And you need to, like, have a safe person. Like, just someone that you can confide in, someone that you can trust, someone that can kind of help you and navigate through this. Uh, yeah. But then you also, I feel like you should also get a professional involved, um, like a therapist um, or even a police officer to confide in, like someone that can help you out. And have a witness sort of an accountability of you communicating what's happening. Yes. And document everything. Document everything, Uh did you say? Document everything, but have it like hidden and have it with your safe person. Yeah. So keep it with a third party. Yeah. Don't have anything on with you. Always like erase anything if you're on the internet and because he will be looking at that. Be careful of certain phone calls you make if he's looking at your phone records. Um, Just like try to navigate around things and be really smart. And then also if you are in an attack um, – if you're in a knife attack, you always need to keep control of the knife. Um, okay. So that's like avoiding the knife. Um, basically, if you're getting – if he's going to stab you, um, make sure he's not going to stab you in your heart. Um, what I did was I actually like – this was just like instinct. I put my purse and my arm up by my heart. And so one of the times when he stabbed me, he actually stabbed me in the arm because he was trying to get my heart. Um, right. So that helped save my life in that certain, uh, moment. And then when you're first grabbed, you want to do everything to try to flee and run away. Scream as loud as you can. And then when he grabs you, fight like hell. Bite, kick, punch. Use your elbows. Those are actually good Um, because that's a good uh, long bone in your body. Um, And then also if you – when you end up on the floor and whatever, use your legs and do everything you can to like kick, fight like hell. Keep screaming. Um, You just want to engage people to like come to your rescue basically. And then – Try to kick the knife out of his hand if he has a knife. That's pretty much how you were able to gain power was getting the knife out of his hand, right? Yes. He kicked it out? Yes. And then my dog was attacking him at the same time, so I did have that advantage also. Yeah. 
Um, but also, if there's like a gun fight, if you run away, zigzag. But yeah, like if it's like if there's the gun right away, if you know how to kick it out of the hand, try to kick it out right away. Don't even give it a second thought. Just do it a reaction. So are you there is there like a right way and a wrong way to do that, I assume? To be honest, I'm not really trained in that. Um yeah. I'm just experienced in knife fights. So I just know my initial reaction and from what I watched on like The Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it, it sure served you well. It did. Every single time when someone had like a gun, they get it out of their hand. And that's how they're able to survive that. But the times where, um, like, the person ran away, they always got shot. Right. So stay and fight. Uh-huh. Did you – have you formally taken any self-defense since this? No. I'm honestly, like, a little hesitant to because it can be a little bit of exposure therapy. And I don't know if I want to be hit. That is understandable. Yes. That really makes sense. And exposure therapy, can you just define that? Um, so exposure therapy is basically putting yourself like uh, for the dog barking for that trigger, um, putting yourself like around it and like working through it by being around it. And then okay. for like exposure therapy for some of the attacks is when you actually go through the attack with someone and you like play it out. So kind of intentionally, well, exposing yourself to the situation. Yes. And that also, I think it's called something else too for reenacting that. Yeah, that does seem like it would be really, really difficult. Yeah. And like I've heard some good things about it, but then I've also heard that it's extremely difficult and um, EMDR has been more so recommended. Yeah, because if you're taking a self-defense class preemptively before anything has ever happened to you, I would imagine that's empowering and feels really good. But to do so after you've been in that experience, it's, a, I would imagine, a very different reaction that your body and mind would have. Yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, gosh, I think we covered most everything I wanted to. This is kind of a strange question, but I'm curious if you, you know, there's people who believe things happen for a reason, and then there's people who think differently, that maybe there's lots of ways things could play out and there isn't just every little thing wasn't meant to be. Do you think things happen for a reason? A hundred percent. And how do you apply that in light of such an enormous trauma in your own personal life? Well, I'm like, I believe in God and stuff, but I also kind of believe in the universe. There's like just been so many things that I've kind of manifested that have always come true. And I've just always, this sounds weird. Like I always had this weird feeling like something like this might happen one day. I don't think that's weird. I mean, it is weird, but I also, I'm a believer in those things too. So it just feels like it was a gift you were given to be prepared for that moment. Yeah. And then like, yeah, no, it's just like everything just always comes together and I don't know if it's like the energy I'm putting out there, but everything always seems to work out. There may be some hiccups along the way, but at the end of the day, everything always works out. So my last question to you is, what is next for Tara Newell? What are you spending your time on? Uh, what do you want to do? What do you hope to do in your future? So I'm just like, Focusing on my blog, although I've been a little behind because, um, you know, summer's fun. <laughs> Summer is fun and you should like, you know, take it down a couple notches. It's good to relax. Yeah. Um, so like I'm focusing on my blog um, and then I'm just trying to do more speaking engagements because I felt like um, – CrimeCon was such a great experience and it was so great to connect with all those women and actually since you took s stuff away from like the talk that we gave it's so important to keep continuing to do that because I feel like that's going to be one of the outlets that's really going to get to a lot of these women and um, give them so much information where they can 
take that and then spread it more, you know? Oh, yeah. I think that is such a natural fit and I think you'd be so good at that and people would be so receptive. You're just so trustworthy because of who you are, like your essence, but also for what you've been through. It's just, it's like a no-brainer. Well, thank you. And I thought oh, we're going to CrimeCon next year, but I'm like, it was amazing and I hope to ha- I hope to be back there next year. <laughs> Oh, I hope you are too. And me too. I want to go back as well. And, you know, our trivia. So I think we messaged about this, but I host a true crime trivia show in New York City. And, you know, I know a lot of women who go to that who would, you know, also love to hear from you. So New York is also always a place where you have a ready and willing audience to meet with you and hear from you. And I'm wondering if you would be up for, this is kind of weird, but we have done a Dirty John category because people love the story so much. So I was thinking we could end with trivia and it would be Dirty John trivia because I have a feeling you're going to get them all right, but it would just be so fun to ask you these because these are the like top five Dirty John questions that we do. Oh man, I hope I get them all right now. (laughs) I know. We can, um, let's see how it goes. I think this will be really fun. I think you're going to be good to go and... um, so yeah, so the show is called Yellow Tape, a true crime trivia show, and um, they're up on these slides, and we have all these true crime lovers. There's five different categories, and we have done Dirty John, so these questions come from that category. So the first question is, what is the name of the newspaper where the story was first published prior to becoming a podcast? So which newspaper originally published the story of John Meehan, Dirty John? Well, the LA Times did, but the Daily Reporter also um, did like a little thing and then the Orange County Register. Okay, well, you just like, you know, doubled down and became the queen of trivia because the answer we have is the LA Times, but you clearly know more than we do. So it's the LA Times is probably what we all knew, but locally there were two other papers. You should say them again. Yes, the Daily Reporter and um, the Orange County Register. Okay. Ooh, maybe I'll add those to my game and see if anyone knows those. That would be really hard. Yeah, but it's just like um, John Meehan, knife welding, and then it doesn't say my name at all. Interesting. Yes. How do you feel about that? Uh, well, at that time, I wasn't ready to come out with that. So I was okay. like, ugh, why are these people posting it? But you know, right? Like, I don't care now. <laughs> Sure. Okay, good. I was just making sure it wasn't an intentional leaving out of your part of the story. I thought that was strange, but that makes sense if it was prior to your no, getting on No, it was board. actually strictly to protect the victim. Good. Okay. Okay. Now this one I hope we got right because now I'm, I'm nervous that I've got it wrong. So the next, question, the next question is, Deborah's daughters put a tracker on her car. What kind of car was it? It was the Jag, but she also put on... It on the Tesla, too. We have Tesla as the answer. So I feel good about that. But did she do two? Was it a Jaguar and a Tesla or just a Tesla? Both. Okay, good. Because she would say, keep switching them. And then I would like, okay, so I would go to dinner with my mom. And then John didn't allow my mom and my sister to have dinner together sometimes. So I would like tell my sister, hey, I'm at North Italia right now. And then she would come put the tracker on the car and then like leave. And then I would like tell her other times when I'm at dinner. And then she would come and like do the same. (laughs) You guys are amazing. I mean, that's like another show. It's like these sister detectives, like just doing like a spinoff. Yeah, <laughs> handing off the uh, the tracker in different cars. Okay, so Jaguar and Tesla. I'm updating this for my next my next show. Okay. Um, true or false? John was previously married. True. True. And was it just once just to once. the woman that we met, Tanya? Right. Yes. Okay. Um, question number four: What did John say his profession was? Anesthesiologist. Right. That is correct. And that was so incorrect, but um, <laughs> pulled that one, pulled that off fairly well, kind of. Um, so this is an interesting question and it's funny to ask it to you, but for anyone who sometimes haven't heard of Dirty John or they've definitely heard of Dirty John, but maybe they didn't get through the story, people do not know the ending, which blows my mind. So I asked this question. The story ends with John in a fight to the death with one of Deborah's daughters. Which daughter? 
So I'll let you answer. Well, I think it might be Veronica. I think it's me. Okay, I'm going to fact check it and I'll get back to you. And we can conclude once and for all who was in that fight. Okay, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I was, you know, you weren't there. So how would you know? Yeah. Um, Sometimes people are like, wait, what? And then people go, yeah, it was the youngest daughter, Tara. And she ends up killing him. And they're like, what? Like they can't even believe it because they just didn't get that far in the story or they've been meaning to listen and they haven't. It's pretty hard to believe until you've heard it all. Oh, well, uh, honestly, like I met with like a medium yesterday. Well, because he was at the party and he was just like, you're a cancer and you like killed a guy. And he's like, what? Like, just like my type of energy, like he said that you said that to him. He said that to you. Yeah. Well, like, um, he told, okay. It was funny because like, you know, when you like are just like at events with mediums, this is my first experience actually. So like, okay. They just start like picking up on stuff from you without like asking for anything. And so he was like, you went through this experience that really like stunted your growth and stuff. Did he not know your story? Do you not think he knew? No, he didn't. Wow. Well, like, and then like, um, well, he didn't know who I was like when I showed up. He didn't know I was connected to that story, but he was okay. in the podcast world too. So he did like when I was like, okay, yeah, I think that's when I like killed my stepdad. And then he's like, wait, what? And then I told him more. And then he's like, oh my gosh, that's your story. <laughs> oh, so he even like surprised himself. He's like, wait, I was right. And it was even like bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Cause he was like, something really is like stunted your emotional growth and I'm like well that (laughs) you're like dude you have no idea I'm like that was a really hard time (laughs) yeah be careful what you open up here at this party yeah (laughs) that's amazing that is amazing Tara thank you so much for talking to me today this was really unexpectedly you know illuminating it was fun and I really appreciate you being so vulnerable I really think you are gifting everybody Um, when you do that well thank you so much for having having me and I'm so happy that you reached out oh my gosh I was so honored when you wrote back and were willing to continue the conversation I was like all right we got to do this and I hope you will come to New York and we can do more together thank you so much it was lovely chatting That is today's dialogue. This is a Yellow Tape Inc. production. We record in New York City. The show is edited by Chris Gerspeck with original music by Olivia Hines. If you know someone who would make a killer guest, please DM me or drop me an email at Rebecca at yellowtapetruecrime.com. Thank you so much for listening, and you can keep up with all the true crime conversations I'm having in all the places. Our website, yellowtapetruecrime.com, Instagram at yellowtape underscore true crime, Facebook, Yellowtape True Crime, and Twitter at True Crime Trivia. Please join me next week for another episode. Kill the small talk, start a dialogue.